we've kind of been led to believe that balance is almost about spending equal time in the various areas. And I'm not necessarily trying to balance it all out that I'm going to spend equal time at with the family as I do at work, but mm-hmm. I am going to be intentional about it versus society determining it for me. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation. Welcome to this episode of the I Love Mortgage Brokering podcast, the most downloaded podcast for mortgage originators on the planet. This series is called 20 Free Books. And as I've said to you before, I love to read. Favorite things to do on a Saturday, sit there and read. And I actually read most of my books on my phone or on a Kindle. I used to have lots of paper books. And I know this traditionalists are like, oh, that's not reading. I actually still enjoy it because I can do it anywhere, anytime. And here's the thing. When I read, though, I read through filters. And I, when I'm thinking about my mortgage business, I run what I'm reading through the filter of how will this help me in my mortgage business? Or how do I apply this concept, this strategy to my mortgage business? And this series is no different. The goal is to take the best ideas from today's top thinkers, speakers, and strategists, and then help you apply their knowledge to your mortgage business. If you want to be a leader in the mortgage business, you must become a reader. So in an effort to encourage you to read more, we give away 20 free books when every episode drops. So you want a free book? There's three ways you can get a copy. First, visit ilovemortgagebrokering.com and 12-week year. That's one, two-week year. And leave a comment on this podcast post. That's the first way to enter. The second way, join our VIP club, ilovemortgagebrokering.com slash VIP. And whenever an episode goes live, we give away books to our VIPs first. And then the third way, if you're like, Scott, I don't want random. I just I just want the book. Give me the flipping book. Go to iTunes. Leave us an honest review. You can say that you hate us, that you don't like us. Send us a screenshot of the review and we will actually send you a copy of the book. Hopefully that's not the case, but hey, we want you to be honest. And we give away 20 free books with every episode. So when they're gone, the only catch is when they're gone, they're gone. Okay, so this topic today, I talked to Brian Moran. He's the author of a book called The 12 Week Year. I think he sold something like a million copies, which is crazy insane. And what I love is that his company is called The Execution Company because this is an execution, get crap done strategy. And so he takes, most of us plan out the year and we think, oh, then if we have a bad week or month, we're like, oh, I'll make it up later on in the year. And Brian says, no, 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 don't do that. You need to shorten the time cycle. It'll help with focus. And I have found that when I've applied this to my own business, it's actually 100% true. And so what you do is that each week is representative of a, of a month and a 12-week cycle is your year. And so you plan everything out in 12-week chunks. And what how this has helped me is that, you know, even recently, I've had some opportunities come up and they're like, hey, can you do this? And I'm looking and I've already planned out my 12 weeks. And I'm like, sorry, you know, I'm in week eight of my 12-week cycle. I can't actually get to that till possibly the next quarter. And this has helped me make better decisions and it helps me stay more focused and on track check out this episode with Brian. I think you're going to dig it and uh, listen to how you can structure your business to get more done and be more focused. Hey, Brian, how's it going? Good. It's good to be with you, Scott. Thanks for coming on the show. And so what I maybe before we get into your book and your principle and premise, tell me a little bit about you. How did you get into this particular topic or niche? I've been in business since college. I paid my way through college working for UPS and they promoted me into management and then I got in with PepsiCo. And so Somewhere early on, though, I I really got switched on to this whole notion of what it takes to perform at your best, and and I think it goes back to when I was a kid. I mean, I had a paper route, and you know, depending on the age of your listeners, some people may not even know what that is. But before what smart is this device, that you're speaking of, yeah, exactly, right? They had to print the news on these big sheets of paper, and then they got delivered to your home. So kids like me, I had an opportunity to get a job at a young age, and. 
I would time myself on my paper route, you know, to see if I could cut some, a few minutes here and a few minutes there. And, but I've always been interested in if I'm doing something, how do I get better at it? And that really led to, you know, what I've done for the last couple of decades, which is everything we do here is we eat, breathe, live and sleep. How do we help our clients get more of what they want faster? And it's just an outgrowth of kind of my makeup and my DNA and what I'm always striving to do. Right. And the whole, the concept of the book, I guess, if we were to distill it down, maybe you, you should probably say this, not me, but is it's, it changes the way you think about yearly planning versus quarterly planning. So maybe give me your, like, uh, explain that for my audience. Yeah. So taking a step back from it, everything we do is designed to help you perform better through more effective execution, right? That's kind of the overarching umbrella because we, we learned a long time ago, it's not enough to know, right? You can be really smart. You can have lots of ideas, you can have access to resources. You got to implement, mm-hmm. and oh, and so one of the things that as we started working with the fundamentals of execution and high performance, we were getting good results, but we weren't getting what people were capable of. And we realized that it had more to do with the environment, the annual environment, than anything else. Right? Everybody set annual goals and built annual plans, and and we did as well with our clients. And we broke them down quarterly, monthly, and weekly. But there was still this barrier, so. We borrowed from an athletic training concept called periodization, and we, we redefined a year. You know, our clients work in the context of every 12 weeks as a year. And no, there aren't four of those in the year. That's annualized thinking. There's this 12 weeks as a year, and then the next 12 weeks, and so on and so forth. And so there's a big component to any high performance, which is the thinking component. And so we challenge that in a number of ways. You know, first, the thinking that the next new idea is going to be the breakthrough for me when the reality is, is if you did what you already know, you dramatically improve your health, your relationships, your income, right? And then the next thinking shift is getting out of that annual environment where 12 weeks is the year, where there's a hard line in the sand. And what that does for people is it creates a healthy sense of urgency, right? Not that stressed out urgency you feel at the end of the year when you're trying to get over the Phoenix line and make or break it. But just a healthy sense of urgency. So more of the critical stuff is getting done day in and day out. And it can have a profound effect on the results in a very short period of time. Right. And, and like you said, you don't want to be frantic. What I found really interesting when I took this and I tried to apply it to my mortgage business was when I make annual goals, I have found that sometimes it's like, if you have a bad month, you're like, oh, whatever, you know, there's another month to make up for it. And you tend to kind of push at the end of the year, but by shortening the cycles, it made every day, every week count. And so you were like, or you couldn't burn a day. And so have you found that with your people that have executed on this strategy, that that's a similar outcome that they got? Yeah, absolutely. And it's not, you know, when you say that, when I hear you say that, it almost sounds stressful. It's not stressful. It's just be intentional about, am I doing the things that are most important in my future? Or am I under the mindset that because it's 10 or 11 months off that I've got plenty of time? Because you might catch up and hit the goal. But the big thing is you can't go back and capture capacity that you left untapped from last week, last month, the last six months. And that's the difference, honestly, between where people are currently performing and what they're capable of. And it's not this small delta. It's a huge delta. Well, and you know what? So yeah, if I sound like I'm, I'm, you know, it didn't make me feel more stressed. What it did do though is it allowed me to, it helped me focus because what happens is otherwise, if I only had 12 weeks when I'm doing my planning, I actually have to say no to a lot of stuff. I'm like, I had people reach out to me like, hey, can you do this? Sorry, not for a couple months because I've already got everything planned out. Every week is like, this is my goal for these weeks. And so it actually took stress away because I 
had predetermined in advance what I was going to be working on. And then I was able to say no to stuff that looked like yeah. potential opportunities, but just not now, right? That was Perfect. very useful. Okay. So in the book, you talk about lead and leg indicators. And so one of the things that I have created recently was this dashboard that lets me kind of keep an eye on my business. And I love this concept of lead and leg indicators and it really helped me. So can you explain that so that somebody doesn't know what that is? Yeah, people struggle with this concept, but lag indicators are just measures of the outcome. So if my goal is to lose weight, you know, pounds lost is a lag. If my goal is to make sales, sales is a lag. And it's called lag primarily because there's this time lag between, you know, when I declare it and start to work on it and when it comes to fruition. Lead indicators, on the other hand, are not outcome or output measures, they're more predictive, right? They're a measure that has a high correlation to the end result, but happens earlier in the cycle. So the best example I think of is online marketing, right? If you're an online marketer, oftentimes you have this opt-in. So people opt in to a free report or a free video or something like that. We've all done that, right? There's some mm -hmm. interest there. Absolutely. We opt in. Every good marketer knows the ratio between opt-ins and sales. And because the opt-ins happen so much earlier in the cycle, they can predict with a high degree of accuracy what their sales are going to be by the opt-ins. It might be 10 to 1, it might be 100 to 1, it might be 1,000 to 1. But that's a lead indicator. It gives them data, information about what the future is going to look like earlier in the process. And so at one level, you know, we tell people, don't get hung up on lead and lags. Just what are, call them key measures or KPIs, key performance indicators. But what are the handful of things that given your goals, you need to track, you need to measure and pay attention to, to make intelligent decisions about what's working and what's not working. Yeah, no, it was, it's a great distinction because sometimes you can be focused on the sale, not realizing that you should be watching something a little further down the line. And I found that to be just, it was a good distinction. Yeah. Um, yeah. Here's so, the other piece of that, right? If, if you have to realize that you don't control the outcomes, right? It's right? Just think about that. Points. What do we have control over the actions or the outcomes? We have control over the actions. We desire the outcomes. Well, the goals are the outcomes. The tactics are the actions. And if I get too fixated on the outcome, it becomes more paralyzing. Because intuitively, I know I can't control it. And it's also why people are reluctant to stretch at the outcome level. Because intuitively, you know you don't control it. But if you really understand that, then it allows you to stretch more. It allows you to not get so fixated on the outcome, but to really focus on what you have control over, which are the actions. Right. And the way that I, so that I, when I read this and I uh, applied it to my own business, the way I looked at it was a lead indicator was something that I actually could do. So with whether it was make 10 phone calls a day or 15 phone calls or whatever that was, the leg indicator was what were the, you know, the loans that would come from that. But by I could control the number of calls I make. Like that is an, an input that I have direct control over and it has a massive effect on the outcome that I will get in three months or two, three months sort of thing. And so it just helped me from, because we, it's in our business, we track volume. Like the, typically when you talk about mortgages and sure. real estate, it's like, Hey, we, we always talk about our volume, but volume is actually a result. It's a result of the actions that you did. And so by focusing, making sure that you have some kind of attention on those lead indicators, I found that to be helpful. One qualifier though, a lead indicator may not always be an action, right? right? Opt-ins is not an action you take. No, but it's a really strong lead indicator. That's so sometimes the lead indicators are the actions. Like you said, it's, it's calls, it's meeting, it's appointments. It's, you know, sometimes they're not, they're just, they're measures though, that there's a correlation there. So yeah, you can, right. it's a, or, yeah, that's a good point. And so you talk about this idea of productive tension and how we can harness it. So what is it yeah. and how do we harness productive tension? 
Yeah, that's a cool concept, I think, anyways. And, and productive tension is this notion of when we're clear on our goals and our actions, we're not perfect with our execution. So what happens is, is when we're struggling, and you will struggle, if you take a new ground, right, there's going to be some challenge in that. There's going to be some struggle from time to time. It's not this straight line that's always pointing up. And so what happens is this tension's created, right? I'm, I'm not doing the things I'm supposed to be doing, so the results aren't coming online. And we're going to want to reconcile that tension. And one of the ways we can do that is we just sort of drop out, right? We stop measuring. We stop looking at it because it's really uncomfortable. We don't like the numbers. It, we don't like it. We don't yeah. like it. So we, we start to ignore it. We stop tracking it. We don't look at it, which doesn't help, right? You're not, that doesn't help you at all. Mm-hmm. The other way that's productive is to sit with it, and we call that productive tension, to sit with that tension until it causes you to behave differently, which it will if you don't squirm out from under it. Because at some point, you're going to go, gosh darn it, I'm tired of that number not moving. I'm tired of each week looking at this and feeling like I'm failing myself. And so this week, I'm going to do something different. That's productive tension. That tension is really a good sign. It's a sign that things are changing And the fact is, it's natural to want to reconcile it. Unfortunately, too many people unconsciously reconcile it by dropping out, if you will, by not looking at it versus the productive side of that, which is using it to, as a friend, using it as a tool to help you behave differently. Right. And this kind of goes to the concept of putting your head in the sand, right? You're like, hey, I don't like my personal finances or whatever it is, and I'm just not going to look at them. I'm just going to pretend they're not there instead of using that productive tension to actually move you towards action. So there's a couple other great things here that I really enjoyed. So you talked about, I'm going to ask you about the nuts and bolts of it. So somebody's listening going, okay, how do we, what's the specific, but you talked about balance and you said that most people's understanding of balance is flawed. So can you explain that to our listeners? Yeah, I, I think there's this notion, we've kind of been led to believe that balance is almost about spending equal time in the various areas. And I don't think that's possible. And even if you could pull that off, I don't think it's going to bring you the satisfaction and the success you're looking for. So we talk about intentional imbalance. This notion of, look, there's different seasons, there's different times, but being intentional about where I spend my time. I'm not necessarily trying to balance it all out that I'm going to spend equal time at with the family as I do at work, mm-hmm. but I, I am going to be intentional about it. You know, how much time do I want to spend at work? How much time do I want to spend with the family? How much time do I want to spend recreating? versus society determining it for me because there's a lot of advertising that'll tell you how you should spend it. And, and a lot know, of marketing dollars that's going to push it. you to as well to try to influence you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So just being intentional with that and realizing that that whole concept of balance it is a bit of a misnomer, right? It's, it's, a, it's intentional imbalance where how much time do I want to be spending in these areas given where I'm at? You know, I got a young family I'm going to invest more in that family. I got grown kids. It's a little different, right? I might recreate a little more or whatever. And without even me attaching my values to it, it's about each person deciding for themselves what they value and where they want to spend their time. Right. And actually, I heard a quote once, somebody said, a man standing on one foot's in balance, which was sort of this uh, interesting picture. But this actually leads to my next question, which is on creating your ideal week. So if you have this idea that your understanding of balance is not necessarily not equal time everywhere, but it's about being intentional about what matters to you. So then let's talk about why the importance of creating an ideal week. Cause that's one of the exercises in your book that you talk about. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. The ideal week is the concept or model week is another name for it. Is that look, if you can't put together a model week or a super productive week on paper, 
you can't make it happen in reality, right? If you can't work it out on paper. And, mm-hmm. and so let's work it out on paper first so we can see and make the difficult choices. Again, back to intentionality so that, you know, we're doing the exercise of saying, okay, if I were to look at my most productive week and, and how I want to balance the work and the personal and the recreation, all of that, what does that look like? You know, and the first time you do it, you're going to find out that, you know, it's not all going to quite come together like you thought. And you're going to have to make some difficult choices about, okay, where do I compromise? What do I give? And, you know, where do I find time for this? And where do I cut time from that? And so, again, being intentional about that, figuring it out on the front end, and then sort of setting up my week to work that way. Now, your week's not going to work that way perfectly every week, but the more intentional you are with it, the more it will align with it. And the fact is, it'll be way more productive than you just kind of taking the week as it comes. Right. And so it's really about creating some structure in my week and this rhythm, right? This rhythm to how I operate. I know these things happen on Monday and this happens on Tuesday morning and this is Thursday afternoon. So now I've got this rhythm that I start to flow with week in and week out. And that's how we're most productive. Even if one of your listeners are the creative type, right? My wife is supernova creative. And I will tell you, creativity without structure is chaos, right? 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 Creativity with structure is super powerful, but it's not natural for my wife or any other creatives to crave that structure, but it does. It creates the flow. It creates the rhythm that really allows anyone, certainly super creatives as well, to leverage their talents. Hey, we'll be right back with my interview with Brian in just a moment. Now, listen, if you want to take your mortgage business to the next level, you want to add more realtors, visit our sister website, 10loansamonth.com and check out our free training called the five shifts to 10 loans a month. It's 45 minutes. We're going to talk about five steps you need to take if you want to scale to 10 loans a month or more. And one of the things the myths that people have is that they think that's like, hey, look, you can only get business if you give business. We actually think that's a terrible marketing strategy. And one of our strategies is called the Create Five Strategy, where we help you create deals. So you imagine your conversation with the realtor is, hey, Mr. Realtor, I want to show you how to add five deals to your closings this year. Let's sit down and we'll talk. Changes the dynamic, changes the game. And when you do this properly, the realtors will fill the room for you. They will pay for it. And heck, we've even had situations where the realtors have wanted to pay for the mortgage person to be there. And you know, I'm like, no, you don't need to pay us. The fact that I'm going to write 15 or 20 loans from this is payment enough. You don't need to pay me to do this. So check out 10loansamonth.com. That's 10loansamonth.com. Check out that training and see if we could help you. I know our industry tends to be very reactive. So it's like the phone rings, there's a lead, somebody wants, you know, or a real estate agent calls you or a file that you thought was done blows up and you're like, oh my gosh. And now you're spending the next hour trying to put a fire out. And so what you're really saying is, okay, design the ideal week. It's not always going to go the way you want, but at least on paper, you've put some thought into this with intentionality. And the next step is to talk about, tell me about the three major time blocks that you recommend that we need to place into our calendar in order to like, create a rhythm that we can rely on to be more effective. Yeah. And part of that too, is when you, when you create that model work week, you're not looking to fill in every conceivable spot, right? You need to build in margin because things are going to happen. And if, if you look at your work week and let's say you work a 40 hour week and you've got that mapped out to the minute, I can guarantee you that's going to blow up and it's going to blow up every time. Probably on because the first day. <laughs> On the, in the first hour, <laughs> there has to be some margin in there. Time blocking is probably the best concept in terms of taking back control of your day. And that's why we teach it. And so there's three primary blocks that we talk about 
The first is a strategic block, which is a block of time that's devoid of interruptions, you know, devoid of the low-level stuff like emails and phone calls and things like that. It's really focused working on the business. You know, everybody talks about working on the business, not in it. This is how you do it. You carve out time to do it because the things you're going to work on at that point are not going to have an impact that day, might not even have an impact that week or that month. But if you don't carve out time for them, they never happen, which means your future is compromised. The second block is what we call a buffer block, which is really designed for all the interruptions, the lower level activities, the voicemails, the emails, the drop-ins, all that type of stuff. You know, a buffer block might be 15 minutes, it might be an hour, might be once a day, might be four times a day. It depends on how much of that stuff you have. But what happens is you push those activities to the buffer block. So you don't look at the email when it comes in. You look at it in your buffer blocks. You don't answer your phone when it rings. You do that in your buffer blocks. I know some of your listeners are going, that's oh, they're going like, to yeah. have a stroke. They're going to be like, that's they're it. They're going to freak I'm, out on that. They're driving right? off the but, road right now in their car listening to this going, this is <laughs> insane. It can't be done. Can't be done. Yeah. But if you look at the most productive people, that's the way they operate. Why? Because if you don't operate that way, then you're not in control of your actions. You're not in control of your outcomes. They're being controlled by the day. Mm-hmm. Right by how the day flows. You're productive because the day flowed well or it didn't. And I can guarantee you, you know, all the stuff that's coming at you is not always productive. And so, and, and listen, you don't have to take everything and put it into a buffer block, but if you, it works with about 70% of it, which frees you up to be more on purpose. The call that you absolutely have to take will get a hold of you, mm-hmm. right? But we tend to operate out of this scarcity mentality and this everything's an emergency mentality when if you really tracked it, and I say this because our clients do, they track it with time logs. Most of the stuff is not. Right. Most people are good if you get back to them that day, let alone that day part, right? Morning, mm-hmm. afternoon. But your thinking says, no, I got to respond right now. Part of that is the scarcity mentality because I don't have a lot going on. I right. have a lot in the pipeline. So I'm operating, gosh, that call might be a sale. Man, I better jump on it. Well, if it's a sale, it'll be there a couple hours from now. If not, then it wasn't a sale to begin with. <laughs> right. Or you put systems in place to catch those things, whether it's an assistant catching calls for you or an answering service. Right. There's, there's ways to still be, if you have to have a high level of responsiveness, but still allow you to create barriers so that you can get work done and not be constantly interrupted. And that's different if your job is to react, right? If your job is the receptionist, the phone rings, you answer it. Yeah, that's different, right? Yeah, or if you're a 911 you operator. don't need the 12-week year to do that. Right. <laughs> Yeah, totally. Yeah. Or if you're 911 operator, you kind of have to answer the phone. It's like, no, no, I'm on my time block. I'm not answering that call from, for a 911. Right. Sorry, I'll, get, I'll catch that later. Okay. That's great. So then how does somebody execute on this? So we get the idea that you've got to put some blocks. Oh, did you say the third one? So you said there was strategic, there was buffer. What was the third one? I'm not sure. If yeah. You the, the, the last one I didn't, the last one is a breakout block, which is, okay. you know, for entrepreneurs and sales folks, burnout's a real issue. And it sneaks up on you. So breakout block is just time away. It's mentally turning the stuff off. It's like a, a mini vacation. The problem with a vacation is you come back to a stack of work. And so it's about mentally getting away from it and just carving out some time to turn it off so that when you're engaged at work, you're present, you're there, you're inspired, you're enthused, right? And you need to give your mind a break. You need to physically give yourself a break in order to stay at the top and stay on top of your game like that. For me, this would probably be one of my hardest things to do is to shut because my brain's always going, always problem solving or thinking about the business. So how do you do this and do it effectively? Just because I, I know that on paper it makes sense, but man, I don't know. Like shutting everything, like my it just 
that's something well. First off, it's you know we talk about a breakup block is three hours somewhere during the normal work week, and you don't start with those. <laughs> People go, hey, Brian, I love that concept. I'm starting with that. No, you start with the strategic blocks and the buffer blocks. And by the way, there was an interesting study done. I think it was by University of Michigan, and that pains me to say that because I'm a Spartan. But it said that the average professional has about 40 hours of work on their desk at the end of any given day, and that the average person wastes two hours per day, every day at work, two hours per day wasted. Now, I'm sure that's none of your listeners, but the yeah. point is there's a lot of inefficiencies in the day. Mm-hmm. So if you structure your time differently, you can literally work less and make more. The person making 10 times as much as you isn't working 10 times as hard. They're right. probably working less, yeah. but they're working different. And that's the key. That's really good. And there was actually some other key things I wanted to just share and maybe get you to talk about a little bit. You'd said something about more than 60% of the time, the breakdown is in execution, not the plan. So somebody does this, they do the exercise of, I'm going to think of each week as a month and each 12 week cycle as a year, and it'll help me be focused, say no more. But then the most of the time when it's a breakdown, it's not the plan. It's actually execution. Here's the reality. Every plan is flawed to some degree. There is no perfect plan. But if you study our material, you'll find out that one of the things about the plan is you got to get tactical. Most people don't get tactical. They're conceptual. But once you create a tactical plan and you start to execute it, the primary breakdown is on the execution side. It's typically not the plan, but people want to change the plan. Why? Because it's easier, because they don't have a way to know where the breakdown is. But it's typically that I'm not doing enough of what is in the plan to get the result. And so the first place you look if we're not getting the result is not to the plan, you look to the execution. And that's why we track the lead and lag indicators, but our clients score their execution. So they know on a weekly basis whether they're executing in the 90 percentile, the 70 percentile, the 30 percentile, and they know why. And that's really critical because it's the combination of the lead and lags plus the execution score that really tells the story. It'll pinpoint the breakdown so that you can make an adjustment. And the 12-week year is all about making smaller adjustments more frequently. And that's how you accelerate your success. But most of those adjustments are coming on the execution side, not the plan itself. Yeah. And I have personally, so I've, I've applied this in my own business. I found it very helpful for me to stay focused because I, I have a bit of a entrepreneurial ADD and it's been really useful for me to just be like, okay, I don't have, I've got to shorten the time cycle, which means I can't do as many things. So what are the most important things? It sort of automatically forces the important things to the surface because of the condensed timeline that you're working on. That's been my experience. Yeah. There's another comment that you put in this book, which actually was a real, like uh, for me. And one of the things I'd said to you before we started recording was I was actually, when I'd heard about your book before and then I, I got it and read it and whenever I, I find a book that's fantastic, I love to share with our listeners and I, I want to apply it in my own life, my own business. But your book has a quite a bit of mindset stuff in there in terms of like, it wasn't just strategy. There was actually quite a bit of like on mindset. And one of the things you said there was uh, nobody wants accountability because like we don't want accountability is a consequence. But if you change the word to ownership, and I had a conversation with somebody on my team about that, and I was like, it's a minor thing, but what a difference that makes when you think about working with a team in terms of, hey, I'm going to give you accountability. That sounds negative versus, hey, I'm going to give you ownership. So why don't you talk about that concept for a second? Because I just thought that was fascinating when I read, I've never heard that before. Yeah, it's really a game changer. It's probably our next book too, Scott. Because most people equate accountability with consequences. I mean, that's how it's used in society, right? We someone does something wrong and someone in the authority says we're going to hold them accountable and then they 
dole out some negative consequences. And mm-hmm. and it's not that consequences don't matter. They do. But I would argue in the end, we all choose our consequences right. by the choices we make. And that really, accountability is really the understanding that we have free will choice and then taking ownership of those choices. One of my goals, honestly, is to help people scrub this notion of accountability as consequences because it's really unproductive. And for leaders to stop trying to hold people accountable because that's this forced accountability where when someone doesn't do what they're supposed to do, I come in and I create a negative consequence for them. Mm -hmm. Instead, understand accountability for what it is, which is really ownership. It's the notion that I always have choice and then taking ownership of those choices, including the consequences that come with the choices I make. And it is subtle, but it's a game changer when you really understand it. And it probably is the most empowering concept there is to live the life you want to live. Right. You know, it's, it's interesting. So I'm excited that this is your next book or potentially your next book. And if you do, I'd love to have you back on the show. But I have a new team member and I was talking to her recently and I said, what do you think of the word accountability? And what do you think of ownership? And she's like, well, accountability feels negative. It feels like you're looking over my shoulder, but ownership and the word she said is exactly what you said, which was empowerment. Ownership is like, hey, here, this is for you to own. It's really the same thing. The difference is the perception of they're, they have power in one, the other one, they feel like they're disempowered. I don't know. It, it was just, and there's a great quote you write in there eventually. And I told my wife this and she's like, oh, that's good. That's like, this is like a, give you a tingles quote. Uh, eventually everyone sits down to a banquet of consequences, Robert Louis Stevens. And I was like, Ooh, I'd never heard that before. That is like a powerful yeah. statement. That was like fantastic. So where can people find you? So if, if somebody's looking for you, how do they find you online? How do they find your books? What, where would they look for you? Yeah, great. So you can find the book on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or any of that. You can find it on our website as well, 12weekyear.com, 12weekyear.com. And we've got a lot of support programs. You know, we have a getting started course that's free. It's a you'll get a couple different emails from me helping you work through your vision and your plan and the scorekeeping and the time use and all that. So you can get that at 12weekyear.com forward slash getting started. And that's on the website as well. We do a lot of coaching. If you're really serious and you want to apply it and our coaching clients get phenomenal results because we're with them for a year, you know, we're working with them at least for a year, arm in arm, but 12weekyear.com is where you can learn about all of that. Yeah, that's fantastic. And so, and we'll have all the links to in the show notes. Uh, Brian, I really appreciate you coming on the show today, talking about the 12-week year. It's been awesome for us to apply to our business. And we're, I can, like you said, you, you're not going to apply it perfectly, but we keep trying to make, you know, making little minor improvements. But it's been a great paradigm for us to look at how we make our planning and our decisions instead of this like, oh, we're going to think 12 months out. And it's been awesome. That's great to hear. You know, once you start operating on a 12-week year, it's like impossible to go back to annual because it just it's so far in the future. And it's so difficult to predict what's going to be happening, you know, nine, 10 months from now. So glad you're getting value. And thanks for having me as a guest.